let's take a look at reality. We look around ourselves and see objects. The objects, then, are the things which exist. A void of nothing, with occasional suns orbited by planets, orbited by moons, each of these great celestial objects composed of deconstructible, smaller parts, materials. These materials, then, are the things which exist. What about space and time, those substrates upon which the materials are situated? Do these exist in addition to the materials? I'm not a physicist, but this question strikes me as absurd. There is buried implicitly in that question a broken assumption. No one would ask if there is a tree in addition to the branches and the trunk and the roots. These components assembled a certain way make up the tree. Having chopped it down and forced it through a chipping machine, we have destroyed the tree but not the material. No disappearing magic act has taken place. The deconstruction is a matter of rearrangement. With respect to the objects in space, Newton essentially counted them as the totality of existence. It was the objects, not space or time, which could be accounted for as real. Einstein seems to have taken the opposite stance. It is the space and time that are real after all. It now seems that the materials are manifestations of the space-time, wrinkles in the fabric, as I once called them. We bear witness only to the wrinkles in the form they take. The substrate is invisible to our instruments, biological or otherwise. Matter warps space-time. What better definition for matter is there than the warping of space-time? Confusion gets smuggled in when we define matter as that which warps space-time. You see, in this telling we must add a that to the warping. Consciousness, in my view, affords precisely the same confusion. The thing which fundamentally exists is the mind, but we only bear witness to its contents. We call these contents qualia, if we want, and argue among the philosophers of mind over their nature. Or in the case of Daniel Dennett's philosophy, whether they exist at all. Qualia are, within the subjective universe of the mind, directly akin to particles in the objective universe. Do they exist, particles? Well, yes, but ultimately no. They are shadows cast upon the cave walls by wave functions, likewise, precisely likewise for qualia. They ex exist just as shadows do. They are phenomena, ultimately explainable in physical terms, but not something additional in the universe to be added to the list of real and classifiable things. On the contrary, when you see a shadow, you are noticing an absence of something which is present in the surrounding area. You are witness to the contrast and as you make the shadows form an object of attention, you manifest in your own perception a phantom. You see two faces where there is only one vase. According to my theory of consciousness, the TICL, conscious contents thought of as qualia or otherwise exist from the point of view of large, integrated physical systems. But the key parallel I want to point to is that the contents are alterations of mind which stand out against the background. Like space-time, the mind itself is invisible. We see or hear or feel only what deviates from baseline. This is exactly what happens when we point telescopes or other instruments of science toward the cosmos. We detect microwaves and radio waves and so on because they have properties which differ from the substrate. We don't detect the substrate. Is it, empty? it is empty and black. It moves no needle upon an instrument panel. Is this because space and time don't exist? Or could it simply be that the instrument panel is embedded in the same space-time substrate as the object of its measurement? 
Daniel Dennett argues that there is no such thing as qualia. He wrote a piece called Quining Qualia back in the 90s. This is from the beginning of the essay. Quote, Quine, verb, to deny resolutely the existence or importance of something real or significant. At first blush, it would be hard to imagine a more quixotic quest than trying to convince people that there are no such properties as qualia, hence the ironic title of this chapter. But I am not kidding. My goal is subversive. I am out to overthrow an idea that in one form or another is obvious to most people, to scientists, philosophers, lay people. My quarry is frustratingly elusive. No sooner does it retreat in the face of one argument than it reappears apparently innocent of all charges in a new guise. Which idea of qualia am I trying to extirpate? Everything real has properties, and since I don't deny the reality of conscious experience, I grant that conscious experience has properties. I grant, moreover, that each person's states of consciousness have properties in virtue of which those states have the experiential content that they do. That is to say, whenever someone experiences something as being one way rather than another, this is true in virtue of some property of something happening in them at that time. But these properties are so unlike the properties traditionally imputed to consciousness that it would be grossly misleading to call any of them the long-sought qualia. Qualia are supposed to be special properties in some hard-to-define way. My claim, which can only come into focus as we proceed, is that conscious experience has no properties that are special in any of the ways qualia have been supposed to be special." Unquote. In keeping with his style, Dennett utilizes what he calls intuition pumps, which amount to thought experiments to make his arguments. I'm not going to work my way through all of them here, but I'd like to look at a strong example from Quining Qualia and give it some consideration. Quote, Suppose in intuition pump number four, the brainstorm machine, there were some neuroscientific apparatus that fits on your head and feeds your visual experience into my brain. With eyes closed, I accurately report everything that you are looking at, except that I marvel at how the sky is yellow, the grass red, and so forth. Would this not confirm empirically that our qualia were different? But suppose the technician then pulls the plug on the connecting cable inverts it 180 degrees and reinserts it in the socket. Now I report the sky is blue, the grass green, and so forth, which is the right orientation of the plug. Designing and building such a device would require that its fidelity be tuned or calibrated by the normalization of the two subjects' reports. So we would be right back at our own evidential starting point. The moral of this intuition pump is that no intersubjective comparison of qualia is possible even with perfect technology. Unquote. Okay, what has Dennett done here? This thought experiment, the brainstorm machine, demonstrates the problem with trying to compare qualia between your mind and mine. Is the yellow you see the same as the yellow I see? Since we both grew up labeling whatever that sensation is as yellow, all we can know for sure is that we both consistently have that sensation under certain common conditions. So we agree, in looking at a banana, that it is yellow. This is true even if your yellow is my blue and vice versa. Fine. So it makes no sense to plug your experiences into my mind and expect them to be the same as they are to you. In principle, we could calibrate the experiences any way we want and they would come out consistent, just like the yellow banana. The brainstorm machine feeds data from your brain into my brain. Those data in my brain are going to undergo processing, which may or may not result in the same qualitative experiences. For the machine to work, and let's be honest, it would be awesome if it could, the data would need to be calibrated. Let's say you and I are doing this experiment with the brainstorm machine. I'll be the giver, and you be the receiver. 
I'll sit in a room hooked up to wires or whatever and look at pictures. You sit on the other side of a divider also hooked up with wires. The researcher asks you what you see. You say, it's a picture of a sailboat. Okay, what color is it? Once the researcher is satisfied that you are reporting exactly what I am seeing, we are calibrated. Sticking with color alone for the sake of simplicity, suppose the researcher can just adjust dials as he asks you questions. He says to you, what color is the boat? You say it's a light orange. He adjusts the dials and says, how about now? Until you are seeing a navy blue boat set against a light pink sky, which is what I am looking at in the picture. You might think the necessity to adjust the dials proves that our original color experiences are different from one another. Maybe. But how do we know the dials were set correctly in the first place? Dennett goes on to elaborate a different version of the thought experiment, which he says was an attempt to overcome the brainstorm machine, but which he argues does not work. Dennett wrote, quote, In this version, intuition pump number five, the neurosurgical prank. The experiences to be compared are all in one mind. You wake up one morning to find that the grass has turned red, the sky yellow, and so forth. No one else notices any color anomalies in the world, so the problem must be in you. You are entitled, it seems, to conclude that you have undergone visual color qualia inversion. Here it seems at first, and indeed for quite a while, that qualia are acceptable properties after all, because propositions about them can be justifiably asserted, empirically verified, and even explained. After all, in the imagined case, we can tell a tale in which we confirm a detailed neurophysiological account of the precise etiology of the dramatic change you undergo. It is tempting to suppose, then, that neurophysiological evidence, incorporated into a robust and ramifying theory, would have all the resolving power we could ever need for determining whether or not someone's qualia have actually shifted. But this is a mistake. It will take some patient exploration to reveal the mistake in depth, but the conclusion can be reached, if not secured, quickly with the help of intuition pump number six, alternative neurosurgery. There are at least two different ways the evil neurosurgeon might create the inversion effect described in intuition pump number five. Invert one of the early qualia-producing channels, for example, in the optic nerve, so that all relevant neural events downstream are the opposite of their original and normal values. X hypothesis, this inverts your qualia. Two, leave all those early pathways intact and simply invert certain memory access links. Whatever it is that accomplishes your tacit and even unconscious comparison of today's hues with those of your. X hypothesis, this does not invert your qualia at all, but just your memory anchored dispositions to react to them. On waking up and finding your visual world highly anomalous, you should exclaim, Egad, something has happened. Either my qualia have been inverted, or my memory-linked qualia reactions have been inverted. I wonder which. The interpersonal inverted spectrum thought experiment was widely supposed to be an improvement, since it moved the needed comparison into one subject's head. But now we can see that this is an illusion. Since the link to earlier experiences, the link via memory is analogous to the imaginary cable that might link two subjects in the original version. This point is routinely, one might say traditionally, missed by the constructors of intrasubjective inverted spectrum thought experiments, who suppose that the subjects noticing the difference, surely a vivid experience of discovery by the subject, would have to be an instance of recognizing the difference as a shift in qualia. But as my example shows, we could achieve the same startling effect in a subject without tampering with his presumed qualia at all. Since X hypothesis, the two different surgical invasions can produce exactly the same introspective effects, while only one operation inverts the qualia, nothing in the subject's experience can favor one of the hypotheses over the other. 
so unless he seeks outside help, the state of his own qualia must be as unknowable to him as the state of anyone else's qualia, hardly the privileged access or immediate acquaintance or direct apprehension the friends of qualia had supposed phenomenal features to enjoy. The outcome of this series of thought experiments is an intensification of the verificationist argument against qualia. If there are qualia, they are even less accessible to our ken than we had thought. Not only are the classical intersubjective comparisons impossible, as the brainstorm machine shows, but we cannot tell in our own cases whether our qualia have been verted, at least not by introspection." Unquote. It seems to me that Dennett points to a problem about qualia as Plato would think of them, but not as I would. Qualia are the meanings of data from our point of view. Dennett's philosophy often appears to tilt against windmills. He's famous for his atheism as one of the four horsemen. I'm an atheist of the same variety. I have no time for stupid nonsense. The problem is that when we position ourselves against fundamentalist ideologies, we can tend to throw out the more nuanced and valuable aspects of the religious views. This has led Dennett to argue in other places that consciousness does not exist. He would deny his own existence in order to satisfy a materialist worldview. Rather than trying to explain consciousness in terms of the real physical world as I do, he throws up his hands and denies the phenomenon altogether. Since Dennett cannot come up with a physical explanation for consciousness, it must be a dualistic ghost in the machine woo-woo. The attempt to classify the redness of red is taking a platonic approach to phenomenology. The form of redness is real in some idealized other world. This way of thinking has to be wrong, just as it is absurd to believe in a realm wherein the perfect form of a chair resides. So much hinges on what we mean by real. Plato seems to have taken this idea to its most extreme. We should avoid making the same mistake when theorizing about consciousness. If they are anything, qualia are the way things seem from a point of view. As conscious beings, they are everything we know, but that doesn't make them real in the objective sense. If I look up at the sky and see a cloud shaped like a ship sailing by, there is no shipness in need of explanation. And if I were looking from any other vantage point, the shape would be quite different. From my point of view, it looks like a ship. This says more about my point of view than it does about the cloud I'm looking at. And when it comes to color, you are critically mistaken if you think redness has something to do with electromagnetic wavelengths around 650 nanometers. All light, even visible light, is strictly speaking invisible. The redness we see is a function of the brain, not a function of light. Dennett seeks to disqualify qualia as real things. I would agree with him that redness, for example, does not exist in the platonic sense. There is no redness outside of conscious experience. It is a subjective construct. But subjective constructs still need to be explained. There are plenty of real, measurable, and describable phenomena that Dennett could disqualify along with qualia. qualia. Gravity? Distance? Duration? We cannot distill these properties away from the things which they characterize. Gravity is a happening. It is a fundamental property of certain conditions in nature. It doesn't exist aside from those conditions, just like qualia. I have described the contents of consciousness as meanings. I have further noted that meanings are necessarily relational, like distance and duration. What is the distance between point A and point B? Compared to what? I'll say it is 20 times the length of this stick. Point A and point B are 20 sticks apart. How long will it take for this caterpillar to walk from point A to point B? 
Okay, that's an empirical question. Let's run the experiment. We place the caterpillar at point A and record how long it takes for him to reach the other side. But how? I don't know. How about we start the run exactly at sunrise and measure the position of the sun when it gets to point B? How long does it take? 12.4 degrees, apparently. Wait a second here. How long is that? Every length and every duration is only made sensible as compared to some other length or some other duration. That's what I mean by meaning. The meaning, length. Length isn't something added to the list of real things, and yet it obviously is a real meaning. Matter composes every object in the universe. And yet matter itself is a waveform in space-time. Its properties are relational meanings. That is how I think qualia should be understood. They arise within the conscious mind in accordance with neural dynamics, amplitudes and wavelengths of brain activity. How can redness and the pain of a good bee sting both be composed of amplitudes and wavelengths of neural activity? I don't know. How can caterpillars and sticks and suns be composed of amplitudes and wavelengths in space-time? The universe is the totality of space-time. If our universe were flat and unwrinkled, unpopulated by matter, it would be to a witness as if it does not exist. Nothing. But the nothing is something. It is the only thing in the final analysis. The perturbations in space-time, whatever it is at its foundation, these things cast visible shadows. We see the perturbations and only the perturbations. Nothing in the shape of something or as my friend Colin Hales might call it, nothing behaving somethingly. It is in the same way that the contents of consciousness exist. They exist as perturbations in the mind. We can allow Dennett that qualia don't exist, but we will have to admit as we do so that length and width and duration don't exist. For that matter, caterpillars and suns don't exist either. They do, though, don't they? Mustn't he be wrong? Well, that all depends on your point of view. Thank you.